0: We were a lucky, loving couple. It was magical. It's still magical. I mean, his spirit is still with me. His spirit is still with our children.
1: This is Death, Sex, and Money. The show from WNYC about the things we think about a lot and need to talk about more. I'm Anna Sale. Today is Veterans Day, and we're remembering a Vietnam War veteran we had on the show last year, Sissy Goodwin.
0: Some e- evenings I'll be sitting watching TV and it just feels odd. Um, you know, he's not there. Um, and uh, there's so many, so many good and wonderful memories that I have.
1: That's Vicki Goodwin, Sissy's wife of 51 years. Sissy died on March seventh from brain cancer. I called Vicky last week at home in Douglas, Wyoming. I could hear chimes tinkling in the background as we talked.
0: Sissy bought those chimes for me uh, years and years ago for a birthday present or something. But they're they're a wonderful reminder of him.
1: Yeah, it sounds like a like a like an angel in the background. <laughs>
0: you know, it's very <laughs> mystical.
1: You'll hear more from Vicki after we listen back to the conversation that I had with Vicki and Sissy together last summer. It's about love, courage, independence, and fighting for what you believe in. Where did the name Sissy come from?
2: Oh, the name Sissy, well, I was in Laramie one day, and this lady called me a Sissy, and, and I was really offended. She just walked by you and... Yeah, to, that out yeah she just, she says, you look like Sissy. And I thought, you know, I I guess I am. And if I took the name myself, it took some of the sting off when people called me that. I owned it. I said, Here I am. This is what I am and deal with it. Sissy
1: Goodwin lives with his wife, Vicky in Douglas, Wyoming. It's a city of about 6,000 people that's also home to the Wyoming State Fair and the world's largest jackalope. Vicki and Sissy have called Douglas home for most of their lives. I always
0: feel like there's a kind of a long rubber band that pulls us back
2: to Douglas. What's it like here? Kind of clickish. Clickish, what do you mean? Oh, if you weren't born and raised here and had three generations, you're an outsider so would you say in this community are you all outsiders
1: or insiders because you're from here?
2: well, I think uh I think we're considered insiders, although in some respects, I still don't feel part of the community, even though I was born here in my grandparents' homestead at north of Douglas, I still Really feel like an outsider.
0: Anyway, but do you have a few minutes to have some lemon poppy seed bread and rest?
1: I visited Sissy and Vicky at their home in Douglas, where they live alone. Their two kids are grown. Their house is spacious with high wood-beamed ceilings, and there are still a few 50th wedding anniversary decorations scattered around from their anniversary party there last year. It's
2: because it just reminds us of. Uh, very fun and uh, eventful day.
1: There's a picture in their living room from that day. In it, Vicky and Sissy are beaming. They stand with their arms around each other next to a decorated cake. Vicki's wearing a black, silky, embroidered blouse. And Sissy is wearing a silver ruched top with a short, black skirt. The outfit that he wore for our 50th anniversary was really pretty. It's because of the way Sissy dresses in very frilly, feminine clothing that he's been made to feel like an outsider, not just in Douglas, but in a lot of other places, too.
2: I'm a male in every sense of the word except the way I dress. I don't try to pass as a woman, so I don't do makeup or fix my hair or anything.
1: What words do you use to describe your gender identity?
2: I heard the term GEM, Uh, it's an acronym for gender-enhanced male, and I like that term. The term transvestite has gotten some negative connotation, kind of a nasty negative stereotype, so I prefer gender-enhanced male. I like uh, to do typical male activities. I like to work with my hands, like to work outside, and so I'm, I think I'm typically male in every aspect except my mode of dress.
1: Sissy says he started dressing in girls' clothing as a young kid. He remembers being left home alone a lot with his younger sister. When his parents were gone, he'd put on his sister's clothes.
2: It was pleasurable for me, not in a sexual way, because I started dressing this way. I can remember as early as four or five years old. Mm-hmm. Uh, I felt happy. uh when I started cross dressing, it was the uh, early '50s, and the styles that day were uh, the girls always wore dresses, puffy sleeve dresses. And I, dresses are pretty. You can twirl in them. The skirts will fly out, and petticoats, and just very pretty. And I, I, I felt pretty when I was dressed that way, and it just gave me a diversion from a hostile environment.
1: Can you tell me more about that? What was your What was your home
2: like when you were a kid? Well, my stepdad was, uh, he was kind of a vagabond, and he was violent. We moved around a lot because he uh, would beat up on his bosses, and that's not good for career development. Like physically, he would get in fights. Physically, he'd get in fights. And I remember one year my, in second grade, we moved nine times, and I failed oh. second grade. Uh-huh. uh uh, both mom and stepdad were alcoholics. There's a lot of violence in the family, a uh, lot of turmoil, a lot of moving.
1: And when you were dressing in your sister's clothes, was it something you did together or is it something you did in
2: secret? Oh, no, it was something we did together. My sister knew about it. How old were you when you realized this
1: was something that people might shame you
2: for? I guess in some respect I knew it was something that I would be shamed for because I kept it a secret. Mm-hmm. I tried to keep it secret from Mom and Dad and from my friends. I know in high school, even though I was very close to the few friends I had, I knew if they knew, uh, discovered the way I dressed in in private when I was at home that they wouldn't be my friends anymore. I compensated by doing the typical masculine things that you might be expected in Wyoming. I was in Future Farmers of America. Mm-hmm. I was on the high school rodeo team. What, so, what was your event on the rodeo team? Uh, bareback riding. Uh huh. Yeah. So you, I,
1: you rode bareback horses that were bucking, and you're like trying to hold on.
2: Right. I did ride bulls twice. My first time and my last time, it was the uh, same ride. <laughs> they, I I was trying to cover. It scared to death somebody would find out about me, so I was just, I think I went overboard trying to prove my masculinity to others and probably to myself. Uh, there's this saying in Wyoming called cowboy up, which is tough it out, don't show your emotions, be a man, hold it in. And I think that's the worst thing you can tell a young man because it's healthy to have emotions, to experience those emotions, not hold them in.
1: But as a young man, Sissy did hold everything in. He joined the Air Force after high school and served in Vietnam. He says he was honorably discharged after a sergeant found him wearing a women's nightgown
2: in bed. Soon after, he
1: came home to Wyoming, he met Vicky I was
2: working at the Casper Airport, and I'd stop in at this little restaurant called the Pee and Kitchen Restaurant to have supper about every night and Vicky was a waitress there, and I just she just was attractive to me uh, and I asked her out and I didn't even get a good night kiss at first date. <laughs> she slammed the screen door in my face. I thought, you know, I'm not looking for a relationship. <laughs> so much for this. And what do you remember?
0: Well, I I remember Sissy from high school, you know, and he ran with, a, with kind of a lot of good-looking, nice-looking guys that I thought were pretty neat. And when he asked me out, I was just, "Wow, you know, this is really cool." But you know, I was the uh, kind of girl that didn't kiss on the first date and didn't I mean, you know,
2: And I wouldn't ask her out again, except I uh, seen her at college, and I thought, well, I'd give her one more chance. <laughs> I'd ask her out out one, one more time.
1: They started dating steadily and got engaged in 1968. It was right around then that Sissy told Vicki how he liked to dress in private. He told me he liked to wear
0: nighties to bed and women's underwear, and, you know, and I, well, okay, you know, that's not a big deal. Um, the struggle for me came when Sissy began to be more open,
2: mm-hmm. you know,
0: when, when he really felt the need to be who he was, and that was a that was really
2: hard for me. I started dressing openly and publicly just a couple of years after we were married. So like the early 70s? Early 70s. I came out gradually, really. I started wearing peasant blouses and, and lady slacks in public, and then I graduated towards skirts and dresses. And the reason I decided to come out publicly was because I was having some pretty serious emotional and psychological issues. I would come home and uh, put on a dress or a skirt and blouse and was just afraid somebody would find out about it. Mm. And that sent a message to myself that you're a horrible, awful person. Why are you ashamed of who you are? And I knew that I had to had to come out and and be myself. I couldn't live with that kind of psychological stress and torment anymore.
1: The first time you were dressed in women's clothing and you went out in public, do you remember where you went?
2: Yeah, the first time I went out in public, I put on a dress and I went to the movie theater. And I was so nervous, I came home and and, uh, got sick. Oh, you got physically ill. I got physically ill because, uh, you know, that's how much stress it caused me to, you know, come out in public and wondering what would would I be arrested? Would I be beat up?
1: And Vicky, when you did you feel like when Sissy was deciding to, to change the way he dressed when he left the house, that it was a choice that was harming you?
0: Yes. I mean, to begin with, I I felt like it was a choice. And I, you know, people did shame him then, and I was with him. And, you know, some people were making assumptions about me and my sexuality. And um, on the other hand, I had been spending years, because Sissy had had, and still sometimes has, but does much better, had very low self-esteem. He didn't think of himself as a very good person. That's back in the day of, you know, positive thinking. So I'm putting signs around on his mirror saying, I'm a good person. And I'd make him get up every morning and say, I'm a good person.
2: Would you say it? Yes, I would. It would bring tears to my eyes because I didn't believe it. It was one of the most difficult things I ever had to do.
0: And while I'm doing all this stuff, then I'm contradicting what... Because, you know, I'm saying,
1: I'm ashamed of you, dressed differently. So this was happening at the same time. You were encouraging him to say, I'm a good person in the mirror. Right. And then you were saying, I don't really want to go out with you if you're dressed like that.
0: Right. And so... I, you know, I had a really challenging time. I, it was hard,
2: very difficult. That was probably the roughest time in our marriage when I came out publicly. Vicki was embarrassed to be seen with me. Uh, I would go for walks, and our daughter, our youngest daughter, would uh, go for walks with me. But I felt isolated.
0: I didn't I didn't really understand it, and I didn't understand why he couldn't, you know, just
1: act normal. Coming up, Sissy and Vicki talk about how they got through that rough time in their marriage and the ways that the public perception of Sissy has and hasn't
2: changed over the years. I'm always situationally aware. I used to... Like to go out and have a beer and read a book. I I don't anymore because uh, alcohol and a guy in the skirt and the blouse just doesn't mix very well.
1: For many of us, 2020 has been a year of great loss. More than 230,000 Americans have died from coronavirus this year. Many of the rituals surrounding death and grief have been taken from us, too. And we've suffered a lot of other losses. I'm losing $1,000 a month. I was so sad to lose all of that
2: beautiful time with my daughter. You can't hold a patient's hand as they pass away. This year is just I wouldn't call myself a bridezilla, but I certainly did not bargain for this.
1: So much of this year has been about coping, trying to find ways to take in all that's changing and to keep going. But a lot has been taken from us this year, and we haven't been able to gather, to pause, to mourn in the ways we are used to, in the ways that we need to. So as we end this year, we want to take some time to reflect on what we've each lost, Maybe it was a person, or a job, or an opportunity you thought would come but didn't, or your sobriety, or a milestone like a graduation ceremony or wedding. We want to hear about all of it and acknowledge it together. What has 2020 taken from you? You can tell us at a special website we've set up just for this at deathsexmoney.org slash 2020. Again, that's deathsexmoney.org slash 2020. On the next episode, I talk with a former police officer about what happened after he killed someone with his gun.
2: When I didn't feel guilty about it, and I didn't feel bad about it, I think the initial thing was feeling guilty for not feeling guilty. It's a a very strange thing to try to incorporate into your identity.
1: This episode is brought to you by Fail Better, David Duchovny's new podcast with Lemonada Media. On Fail Better, David, who has experienced both low- and high-profile failures throughout his life, explores the vast world of failure, how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives. just been looking for a reason to visit New York City, come on June 11th for this show. You can get tickets now at TribecaFilm.com slash Money. We are so excited to see you there. I'm Shankar Vedantham, here
2: to tell you about a great mystery. That mystery is you. As the host of a podcast called Hidden Brain, I explore big questions about what it means to be human. Questions like, where do our emotions come from? Why do so many of us feel overwhelmed by modern life? How can we better understand the people around us? Discover your hidden brain. Find us wherever you get your podcasts.
1: This is Death, Sex, and Money from WNYC. I'm Anna Sale. While Sissy Goodwin was coming out and beginning to cross-dress publicly, he started a
2: new job at a power plant in Wyoming. I progressed from a helper shoveling coal my first day, and when I retired, I was a corporate trainer.
1: And, and so since so the early 70s,
2: what were you wearing to work at that time? Well, because of the environment of work, I couldn't wear skirts to work because of the moving equipment, but I wore lady slacks and peasant blouses. Was that an issue with your coworkers or your boss? It depended on the boss. The plant manager tried to fire me, but the human resources manager says, no, I had such a good work record that they couldn't fire me.
1: And was that surprising to you that that you had
2: advocates? It was surprising, but I knew I was a good employee, and I knew I was uh, uh, an excellent operator. I had to be because I was under a microscope.
1: When have you felt like your physical safety has been at risk? Whenever my
2: nose hits somebody else's fist. Uh, That's a I, joke. Does, has that happened a lot? It has. Uh, I've been physically assaulted a number of times. Uh, these teeth, you see, they're nice teeth I have. Those are, are implants and bridges because I've had my teeth kicked in. I've been assaulted numerous times. Uh I was sucker punched at the Kansas City airport waiting for my baggage at a carousel. Somebody just ground housed me and split my ear open. Uh,
0: he was beat up in Salt Lake. Um, one of the people that were beating on him stopped everybody or he may have been
2: killed. Yeah, there were six people that jumped me in Salt Lake City. Six men? Yes. And what were the circumstances of that? Well, I was down there on uh, a meeting with Pacific Corps, and these young men came out of a pizza parlor, and uh, they called me a name, and I just said, just leave me alone. And this one fellow says, I'll leave you alone, all right. And they started punching me, and they grabbed my hair, threw me to the ground, and started kicking me, kicked me in the eye here. I had to detach retina for a while.
1: How long ago was that?
2: That was uh, 15, 16 years ago. Uh, Last time I was assaulted was probably six or seven years ago, right over here. I used to run the water system out here. I was a water operator, and a fellow lived across the street from the water system. He assaulted me, and uh, it just came out of nowhere
1: And this is a neighbor. This is somebody who lives not far from you.
2: Right, yeah.
1: And you were about 65 years old when this happened? Uh, Probably. Mm -hmm. When people have attacked you, when other people have decided
2: that they need to to hurt you, what do you think is going on? I think what's going on there, the dynamics of the people who choose to assault me, is that they lack self-esteem in their life and maybe I'm a threat to them in some way because if you're really secure in your masculinity a man in a skirt or a dress wouldn't be a threat to you it's only if you're insecure in your masculinity that somebody like myself would be deemed a threat
1: Sissy has also
2: been arrested several times for the way he dresses. The charges were disturbing the peace, but in actuality, it was because I was wearing a skirt and a blouse.
1: Through it all, the job turmoil, the violence, the stares and insults, Vicki stayed with Sissy. It took
0: me a while to get past the, what do I care what they think? They aren't important people
1: to me. But it, it took a while to get there. Was there a, a time when you decided uh, I'm I'm in it. I'm in this marriage. I'm not I'm not gonna have one foot out the door, or was it a, a process? Um You know, one of
0: the things I guess I always knew I could leave. I mean, I've got a degree. I got marketable skills. I I always knew and maybe this is what it made it possible for me to stay. I always knew that I could make it on my own. I also knew that this is where I wanted to be with this person. I mean at one point we considered splitting up, you know, and I don't know. That went on for about a week. <laughs> it didn't last very long? It didn't last very long because, you know, we couldn't decide who got the waterbed. No. <laughs> the waterbed saved the marriage. <laughs> the waterbed saved marriage. No, I mean, we. it was just that we're sitting there trying to figure all this out and realizing that that's not what we want to do. And at that point, I... You know, did some serious thinking, and, and I did some counseling with—I actually went to talk to the kids' counselor at school.
2: Mm.
0: And one of the things that I think really helped me was when he said, "Vicky, you know, one of the things that you should feel really good about is that this is out in the open. Your kids are dealing with this in the open. I'm working with children who are dealing with things at home that are they that, you know are private you know abuse and alcoholism and the kinds of things that are tearing these kids up because they can't talk about it you know and our kids I was encouraging them to go in and talk to the counselors and and so we worked through it because there was nobody for me, who had any kind of, you know, it was just, I guess Sissy and I were kind of out here in the Wyoming wilderness figuring this out together. And I'm really glad we
2: did. (laughs) Well, I'm glad we figured that too. It was at that time when I was coming out and we were going through all this turmoil. I didn't know what I was. I didn't know if I was gay. I didn't know if I was transsexual. didn't know I was a bisexual, matter of fact, I didn't even know what those terms were at the time. Uh, so there's a lot of questions for me and for us that we had to work through together,
1: did it change the way you all relate to each other physically and your physical intimacy, your physical comfort with one another?
2: I don't know if it's affected our intimate relationship or not uh. In that regard, we're uh, probably a typical heterosexual couple, mm-hmm. and we always have been, and that hasn't changed. Do you, Do you think so? I
0: don't think it's. I don't think that's
1: changed any of that. Mm-hmm. And Vicky, when the counselor said to you, "At least your kids are dealing with this out in the open," on the one hand, I understand that. On the other hand, it's a lot for little kids to. Try to understand. Like they're 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 learning about the world and they're understanding this, the public reaction to their family and their father. And um, did you, as a mother, sometimes feel like I'm not sure this is good for my kids?
0: Yes, yes. I think I think there were times when I really worried about them, and, um, but. At some point, and I can't exactly tell you when, but at some point it becomes clear that there is no normal. Mm -hmm. And I figured that my kids were going to have to learn to deal with that. And I think for the most part um, they did well.
2: Yeah, I carry tremendous guilt with me, even to this day, of the impact it had on our children here in Douglas uh, to have a father who dressed the way I do. And the peer pressure on the kids must have been tremendous. Uh, one thing Becky told me uh, when I was voicing my concerns about the children and the peer pressures and what they were dealing with in school was, uh, she told me, she says, honey, uh, kids are pretty resilient and they can survive almost anything if they're loved. And our children were loved.
1: Both their kids now live out of state. And after Sissy retired four years ago, he and Vicky decided to leave Douglas, too. They moved to Washington State, not far from Portland, Oregon.
2: But I found out rural Washington was as conservative or more conservative than rural Wyoming is. Mm-hmm and I miscalculated what I really had here. I have a small group of friends, they're loyal friends, and so after we moved up there, I terribly missed the friends I had in Douglas.
1: And Vicky, how did you feel about coming home?
0: I felt really good about it. Um, It's that rubber band I told you about. We have to come back because this is where we belong, and I guess that's
1: that's it. Do you have any friends, whether locally or wherever, who identify as along a spectrum of gender nonconforming or having a different gender identity than what's considered the mainstream in, in Douglas, Wyoming?
2: I've had acquaintances come up to me in Douglas and say, you know, I secretly cross-dress. Please don't tell anybody. Uh, so I've had a number of people like that come out and confide in me. But no, I don't have any friends that would be transcend any traditional gender stereotypes here in Douglas. Although our oldest son is transgender, uh, male to female, so I, I should say our oldest daughter is transgender
1: how did your child tell you that they were trans
2: gosh I don't remember when he f- or she first told me see I still have trouble with a uh, pronouns-huh
0: um, it's been a number of years but I asked her when she actually knew or felt that she was transgender. And as I recall, she told me it was around the time that she was 28 or so. Um, However, I know that she cross-dressed prior to that, you know, Um, the way she told me, which then I told Sissy, was she was drunk on the phone calling me and telling me, that, mm. you know, that she had this big secret that she had to share. So, Was
1: it in anguish or in sort of celebration?
0: It was in... Uh, well, I think she was even... She was afraid. I, I mean, uh, that's why she had to get drunk to tell me. And I... That kind of breaks my heart because, you know, it w- I was sad that that she was, it had fear, you mm-hmm. know, because I th- always thought we were more, or that she knew that we were accepting and that we would
1: love her no matter what. And she told you before she told Sissy? Yes. Yes. Do you all find that surprising? No.
2: No, I, uh it's a little difficult for me that she is transgender, and it shouldn't be with my lifestyle and what I've been through. But you have this baby boy and uh, grows up, and uh, in high school he's three varsity letters. He was very popular in high school, kind of kid I hated when I was in high school. <laughs> uh, and then to discover... She's transgender. It's it's been a little difficult for me, but I love her and accept her and wish her the best, of course. She's going
0: to have some. I mean, it's a rough road, but it's always a rough road. So, um, but she's uh, she's our daughter, and I love her the way she is.
1: That was Vicki and Sissy Goodwin, together in their home in Douglas, Wyoming, last July. A few months after we talked, Sissy started having problems with memory and fatigue. In February of this year, doctors at the VA hospital in Casper found a tumor in his brain, and he was diagnosed with stage 4 brain cancer. When we talked last week, Vicki told me that Sissy quickly went into hospice.
0: It was just five weeks from diagnosis to death, wow. um, and he knew that he was dying. And I, I loved at the hospice. I had got into the when we were going into the hospice. I made some comment about well, I suppose you don't allow alcohol, and she said, "Oh yes, we do. <laughs> yes, we do." <laughs> so, one of Sissy's final requests was for uh, rum and coke. Because he loved <laughs> rum and coke, and I went down to the liquor store and got him some really good rum and and some coke, and I could sponge it into his mouth, and oh. so we did that. He, the hospice, dressed him in nightgowns, you know, his preferred mm. style. I mean, and, and they were just they were just wonderful to him. Uh, the kids were able to. To come and visit each of them. Um, His friends came from Utah. I mean, it was just, there were days in the hospice room when I, you know, there there wasn't room for anybody else. We had um, just such an outpouring. Then um, there was a resolution introduced. The Wyoming legislature was meeting at the time. A resolution was introduced to recognize Sissy for all the work that he had done. And it was signed by a lot of legislators, both Republican and Democrat, recognizing him for, mm. you know, all of his contribution to the LBGT community, to all being a, a veteran, mm. all of those wonderful things. He actually received it. The day that he died and I I read it to him by then he was kind of out of it. But, you know, I think it did touch his heart.
1: Do you have the proclamation nearby?
0: Yes. Just a second. Okay. The 65th legislature of the state of Wyoming recognizes Larry Sissy Goodwin a joint resolution acknowledging the life and legacy of a Wyoming original, Larry Sissy Goodwin. Whereas Larry Sissy Goodwin was born in Douglas, Wyoming to a working class family, and whereas Sissy became a rodeo cowboy and bareback bull rider before joining the United States Navy. He actually did join the Air Force, but anyway. And whereas Sissy served honorably as an aircraft mechanic in the Vietnam War, and whereas Sissy worked tirelessly to ensure that the name of his fallen comrade, Army Communication Specialist Jose Leo Lujan, was added to the Vietnam War Memorial, and whereas Sissy worked to establish and grow Veterans for Peace. And whereas Sissy returned to his home state to marry his sweetheart, Vicky, and raise their two children. And whereas Sissy worked 33 years at the Dave Johnson power plant and taught power plant technology at Casper College. And whereas Sissy brought gender independence to the equality state with his trademark ribbon skirts and hair bows, despite being assaulted, arrested, and abused. Whereas Sissy returned this hate with love, generosity, and grace. Now, therefore, it be resolved by the undersigned members of the state of Wyoming legislature that we expressed our gratitude for the life and legacy of Larry Sissy Goodwin. Signed the seventh day of March of 2020.
1: Hmm. Gender independence to the equality state. Yes. Wow. That's beautiful, Vicky.
0: It was. It was.
1: That is Vicki Goodwin. She worked the polls last week as an election judge, and just to be safe, she's now currently quarantining at home. Death, Sex, and Money is a listener-supported production of WNYC Studios in New York. I'm usually based at the studios of the investigative podcast Reveal in Emeryville, California. This episode was produced by Katie Bishop. The rest of our team includes Annabelle Bacon, Affie Yellow Duke, Emily Botine, and Andrew Dunn. The Reverend John Delour and Steve Lewis wrote our theme music. And thanks to Carol Bell for her help on this episode. I'm on Twitter at Anna Sale. The show is at Death Sex Money on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And make sure you sign up for our newsletter at deathsexmoney.org/newsletter. Vicky told me that their longtime neighbors, staunch Republicans who are in their 90s, miss Sissy a lot. I first heard about those neighbors last year from Sissy, who when we met was
2: wearing a mismatched floral
1: top and
2: striped skirt. You can see I'm pretty tacky. My elderly neighbor next door, she used to make me close. And she was always critical of me because I didn't match. <laughs> so. She'd make me a skirt and a blouse set. She says, Sissy, when you wear this skirt, you have to wear this blouse. And she'd actually get angry with me if I didn't, didn't match. I'm Anna Sale, and this is Death, Sex,
1: and Money from WNYC.